Hello, and welcome to The Breadwinners. I'm Jennifer Owens. And I'm Rachel Allison. So this is a show where we talk about everything work and family, which, you know, it means life to those of us who know what that means. <laughs> so you know what else means life? Uh, rating and reviewing our show, wherever you get our show. I know every show says that this is true, but it really does help. And so does following our socials at The Breadwinners. We're everywhere. So send questions and comments our way. We love to get them. We do. We do. And of course, checking out, we have some merch. We have some pretty awesome Ooh. merch. Both Jennifer and I have our have our breadwinners. Wear it every week. weekend. <laughs> yes. Yes. So check that out at the link in our episode description and on our social. So this season, we've been trying something new. Uh, this is season four. Can you believe it? Yeah. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so each week we're looking at a concept or a trend, something we all just know. We just know about working and women, and we are tracking it back to where it starts or what's happening. Uh, we've done working mothers. You know, like, why do we use that phrase? Haven't we always been working and haven't we always been mothers? So that's where we are. And so this week I'm going to hand the mic over to Raquel. It's yours, baby. Thank you. Okay. So guess how many people quit their jobs in September? In September. Some of us were forced to quit our jobs in September, but that's a whole other number. That's a whole other number. <laughs> well, I know that big number last summer was like 800,000. Is it like 400,000? I mean, where are we? 4.3 million workers voluntarily quit their jobs. What? Yep. Wait, it wasn't that number when we were all talking about women being pushed out. Wasn't that, well, it was 800,000 women back last August. That was the big, 4 million. Okay. All that right, is equal in. to the combined population of South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, Vermont, Wyoming, and D.C. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that followed 18 months Or prior. Brooklyn. <laughs> 18 months prior to that, the jobless rate sat at an 80-year high and employees were desperately clinging to their jobs. So we have hit a time Wow. called, it has a several different names that we're okay. talking about today. One is called the Big Quit. Ooh, and I like one that. is called the Great Resignation, which is much, much more commonly known. So it's the trend of that we're seeing of employees voluntarily leaving their jobs starting in the spring of 2021, Wow! primarily here in the States. And the guy who coined the term the Great Resignation is a professor of management at Mays Business School of Texas A&M. And he... Good he, work, dude. Yeah. That's a really Anthony good... It's a, it's a very good phrase. Anthony <laughs> Klotz did, did some good stuff. He predicted this was coming. And I think he's he predicted it and he's not alone. There were others who yeah. sort of saw this coming and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he, you know, in his take on this, he he ties it, the why, to four different factors. Okay. We could tie it to a lot more, but here's his take. One, this is happening because there was a backlog of resignations. So there were folks who were like, oh, oh I'm going to resign or I'm going to retire. But, oh my God, there's a pandemic and I... Yeah, and the, and I don't know what's happening and I this is too unsettling. Uh, yeah, I get too that. too unsettling and I'm going to just stay put. 
then there is burnout. Burnout was another factor that he points to, right? I don't know what this burnout is. Could you? uh... (laughs) (laughs) Or burnover. Burnover is what he's also calling it. So burnout. So we've gotten to the point where we're all, we've been working through a pandemic. We're working more or we're all burnt out. We're all without, you know. And we're just over the burnout? Is that what burned over is? No, turnover and burnout. Oh, turnover and burnout. Oh, okay. Burnover. Burnover. Huh. So that's one, just kind of overall burnout. The third reason is we've got backlog of resignations, overall burnout. And the third one is, and this is this one that we're we're gonna talk about a little bit that that some folks like Adam Grant, who we love. Mm-hmm. is really early into it's this identity shift that people are having that that folks are feeling like the way Klotz said it is it's the pandemic epiphanies people have had and decided to make major shifts in their life during the pandemic and so in many cases that may lead huh. to switching their jobs yeah so that's and we can we can talk about yeah. that yeah and then finally the last one, and this is again Klotz's take, is that people are being forced to come back to the office and they don't want to. Oh yeah, right. That has not happened to me, but I've I've read about that. That and that wow, that is a rough of all the factors. It's just so acute, you know, yeah. to be pushed into that that particular decision. Because the other ones, uh, when you have the, you know, when you you've heard the pressures of like you know, homeschooling in the height of the pandemic and, and childcare centers shutting down and all that. That's, um, I don't know, whatever the, uh, the obtuse, like it picked up on you, picked up on you, you know, more, more, more. And it right. just, it just grew to be way too much. And I can't handle it. This decision of, yeah, on May 1st, you need to be back in the office. is so like, yeah, acute. Ooh, that's rough. Okay. Yeah. So I think that there's a couple different ways to look at these reasons. I think that the first one I totally understand. The first one, the the sort of backlog of resignations. Because mm-hmm. that would always happen if any right. sort of bad thing happens. If, you know, like there's an earthquake. This is a societal earthquake that has right. happened. It's just an epidemiology or whatever earthquake that you would go, wait, I'm going to wait to see how this plays out. It could happen today and there would be a backlog of things happening right now. So I, I totally get that too. Right. And then the burnout, as we've just said, like burnout is we're all we're all there with it. What? <laughs> Shift in identity. So, you know, yeah. Adam Grant, who's a psychologist, an organizational psychologist. I'm a big fan. I met him once. Hi, Adam. <gasps> we had a great time. He liked my rework. Name drops. Name drop. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. He is a professor at Wharton Business School at UPenn. And so he had, he's written a bunch about this, but he had a a tweet to kind of encapsulate his writing about the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation yeah. isn't a mad dash away from the office. It's the culmination of a long march toward freedom. Flexibility is more than choosing the place you work. It's about having the freedom to decide your purpose, your people, your priorities. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is why he's very influential. He is um, very, influential. and this is why because he he can he can. That's interesting because you really do think 
And I'm just such a tactical person that, you know, that flexibility is about making what you have work. And, you know, he's thinking of it that and that people are following in this mindset of flexible. It's your life is flexible. That's amazing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's hitting on something that. So we're at this moment of existential crisis in business, right? And so we're talking about two things. One, we're talking about the individual experience and identity Mm -hmm. and how that's shifted. And somebody who's written about this and has a really interesting take is a economist named Ulrich Malmendier. And she wrote it about isn't a breadwinner's breadwinner's episode if I don't make don't, you say some something. <laughs> something exactly. So she wrote a paper just last month: exposure, experience, and expertise. Why personal histories matter in economics. So she's basically talking about her abstract personal experiences of economic outcomes from global financial crises to individual job losses can shape individual beliefs, risk attitudes, and choices for years to come. A growing Mm. literature on experience effect shows that individuals act as if past outcomes that they experienced were overly likely to occur again, even if they are fully informed about the actual likelihood. This reaction to past experiences is long-lasting, though it decays over time as individuals accumulate new experiences. So anyway, we don't have to talk too much about it. That's interesting. Yeah. And she's German. and And so when you read about her article, like she talks about the kind of the German collective experience and, and how that's impacted economic choices. But I think, you know, essentially what she's saying is we've had these major events like the pandemic shape kind of who, how we understand ourselves. And so she's saying, even if, even if we know that it's not likely to be another pandemic anytime you know, that we're moving out, we're still going to make this choice. Like who, you know, what does this mean? This has completely disrupted my life. What does it mean for me? Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the more acute moment of now. And then I would think that there, she must see impacts of generationally, because if you grew up in the seventies, that was Mm -hmm. the, at least in Ohio, that was the rise of downsizing. So there's, there being like just people losing their jobs around us as factories closed and the, you know, so that there's a, and and I only, this is just my own experience of being a certain age of job instability. Like, I, I feel it tampers down this, like, whatever, like, rethinking of everything that I'm going to do. There is always a sense of job in the hand that I think comes from, you know, from that. But I think it, I agree with what she's saying. It's just, it's not just a pandemic. It's all your experiences that all your experiences. before, like, are you going to hold on and and power through because oh my god and or are you a little also your factors of your life like do yeah. you have kids do you have you know whatever are you where are you in your career and all these sort of things but i think she's she's that's really hits on something of like of making making you rethink that she can see the impact of that of a big change yeah yeah no i think it's interesting. So it's so she's got this perspective that like we've yeah. had these individual moments of mm-hmm. revelation of clarity of kind of this is impacting us in this way. And then there's this kind of bigger so that's one element yeah. that, that we're that I'm zeroing in on here. And the other one is kind of looking at the system 
the existential crisis of business being that like something that you and I have been talking about for a very long time, the system's broken. Like it's not, this isn't, you know, this, we are not set up to allow people to live and work and get everything done the way that they, the system. It assumes someone's home getting all the business of family done. Right. And there's no one home doing that stuff. No one's home. No. It's also, if you do have a stay-at-home parent, they're probably running the school district too because the school district's underfunded. Exactly. So thank goodness we're all freaking working all the time to try to keep society moving ahead. So there's no one home, you know. As a side note, I watch a lot of old movies and when they have breakfast in the morning, like if the family is having breakfast, yeah. what time did they get up? <sighs> Like not only to make the breakfast, but what time? Because my son leaves the house at seven at six fifty. If we were going to have breakfast together, we would have to eat it at like at least six twenty, maybe. Let alone making it, which means he'd have to get dressed. It like so. Anyways, I have a lot of thoughts about this image that these families had breakfast in the morning together. Yeah. Let alone that there's someone home to make the breakfast. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah. Uh, I just think that there, uh, and then that is all set up that someone would go off to work and can work all day with a good breakfast because someone was home to make that breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. It had nothing better to do than to make that breakfast. Hey. So, <laughs> anywho, yes, I'm sorry. No. Please continue. <laughs> no, that is, that is great. So somebody who's written a great piece about this and I have to say, my our listeners, Jennifer does a great job at sending me the link so I can read it. I can read it <laughs> for, for you, but I'm going to just read it myself. I have something else to show you in a little bit. But somebody who, who wrote about this, about kind of the systemic piece, is someone named Erica Rodriguez. She wrote about it in The Guardian. The Great Resignation has employers sweating. It's time to escalate the pressure. So she refers to to what... Harvard labor economist Larry Katz calls a once in a generation, take this job and shove it moment. That's kind of, he's saying like, we, not only are we, are we at this moment where folks are making these decisions, but it's kind of opened up this, this one in a generation opportunity for folks who are looking to get jobs and who are looking in the workforce. And to say, this is what I want in Uh my employer. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what she says is she talks about there's sort of potential in this cultural moment and she's proposing, she's saying everything that we said, right? That she cites stats that in 2020, 80% of US workers reported feelings they have too many things to do and not enough time to do them, a phenomenon known as time poverty. Mm. A Gallup 2014 poll revealed that U.S. workers clocked an average of 47 hours a week with more than 18% working over 60 hours a week. And she says it would be naive to attribute these statistics to the industrious spirit of the American worker, considering that full-time minimum wage workers cannot afford an apartment in any state of the U.S. without taking on another job. Right. So she's talking about this kind of systemic piece. So what she's suggesting is that we do what she's calling a slow up. So she's basically saying, she's not talking about striking. She's talking about taking, kind of lowering productivity and slowing things down, kind of having the worker 
take, let me see where yeah. she, uh, she said, what I'm proposing is not exactly a slow down, but a slow up. Traditionally, a slow down is a strike tactic in which workers remain on the job, but slow productivity with the aim of negotiating for a particular objective, such as higher wages. In this sense, a slowdown is a highly localized temporary effort. So it's like, or a, sl- a wait, yeah. Wow. So by contrast, a slow up must be localized and permanent. It would entail a grassroots definition of workplace expectations and frankly has been a long time coming. So she's saying like only, she gets into a whole thing and I, we're going to put this, this episode in the, or this link in the episode description, but she's talking about really like, let's, let's kind of take more of the control back. Right. Yeah. In, in our productivity, let's talk about like, for example, like only checking your email, like only responding to your email three days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I had a conversation with a college friend of mine this week and she has a new job. She, well, she's been there a little while and I, I'm starting a new job and she's saying, you know, well, you know, I'm interested right now. We are both editors and we've both tried to hold together teams where they cut you know, resources and, and headcount and just, and just, you know, I'm, I'm interested right now in having time with my kids and playing pickleball and my parents. And, and, uh, it was so, uh, this is terrible, but it shocked me. And I had like, I've been thinking a lot about like, yeah, what about that? It's kind of a slowdown, but it, you know, like, well, what if we weren't working around the clock? What if we weren't like, I just, she's always been a very smart person and mm. <laughs> She leads the way. But like, yes, what if we are kind of agreeing that this is appropriate? Because there is no agreement on it right now. It's just 24-7. Right, right, exactly. And the way that Erica, so Erica's a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Maine at Farmington. And she says, the truth is, you don't have to be idealistic to participate in the slow up. You only have to be imaginative. You only have to think about meaningful things that could fill your day and imagine what it could yeah. feel like to work more slowly and feel more rested and then strategically act as though that were already possible. <laughs> that is what my friend is talking about. Yeah. You know, that's basically what she is doing. She's got a, you know, a campaign of one to do that. Though she's infected me to think about how would that look? Right. Right. I'm not imaginative in that score. Really. It, it's like it's beyond my imagination to think that way. So now I have to think that way. Right. No, I think that's, that's the big question, right? Is like, how do we, how do we conceptualize? And I think you, you brought up a great point, which we'll get to right now. So what Erica Rodriguez has hit on, she's not alone in kind of envisioning what the future could look like kind of in a, in a different, you know, kind of turning the workplace on its head. There is a Reddit, a subreddit, is this subreddit? I'm so Yeah, old. I think it's a, we're so old. But yeah, yeah. Talk to me about Reddit, which has only been around for like 20 years. But okay, yeah. <laughs> called, I'm going to send it to you. It's called Anti-Work. Oh. And I'm going to have you take a look at it. And then I'm going to have you look at, there we go. Oh. So there is a whole community of people. Oh. <gasps> Who have. Oh, I love it. What's the buzzword phrase that automatically turns you off in interviews? 28.8 thousand people have been 
clicking on this one and it's mine's got to be we work hard, we play hard. <laughs> it immediately tells me your culture is toxic. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. it, it's this whole community of people who are, you know, there's like, what do you call it with the reels? And the, oh, my God, Jennifer, this is like a what? joke of how old I am. Anyway. They yeah. do like, they make the videos where you're pointing to the different. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Anyway. So they've got all these memes and stuff. One of my favorite ones I just sent to you via text. Okay. Do you want to read it to us? Oh, can we make a reality show where we make baby boomers try applying to jobs for the first time in 30 years using their own advice and see how quickly they have a mental breakdown? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'll bring this full circle in that. Yes. Because isn't there a judgment on this, right? I hear it. I hear it from, you know, like, oh, these people, you know, like that they would quit their job. Oh, these people, they're too. Yeah. You yeah. go out there and do deal with the HR bots for uh, job things. It ain't pretty, people. No, it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. TikTok was what I was trying to say, which is why <laughs> I'm old. I had no idea. <laughs> awesome. But I think that's, I think what, what it brings us back to from uh, earlier in the conversation is, you know, we've, is it kind of underscores, here's, we've got these really intense generational, you know, yeah. we, we develop our ideas about what, what the role of work is in our life based on kind of these experiences that old. Oh yeah. Name? I mean, that's what I'm saying about the growing, the growing up in the seventies and right. seeing you know, downsizing and then coming out into an industry that has been shedding workers, the newspapers, you know, then it's, it's all about, it's a scarcity model, you know? And right. I work, um, I, uh, have a, a lovely friend who, uh, in the neighborhood and she said to me the other day, you know, you can always make more money. And, and I was like, yeah, she's like, it's just money you know, I can find a way and I'll just make more money. And I think that's a younger mindset. I love it. Yeah. It's like, if it's not this way, I'll do it this way. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a very freeing, flexible mindset of like, why do I have to work? However it is that you're giving it to me. Yeah. That's why we see female entrepreneurship, especially women once you have kids that I always say at working mother, that was the column we never, ever cut. Even when all the pages would get sh shrunk and shrunk and shrunk was the mom entrepreneur page. We always did the column on somebody starting a company because why are they starting a company? Cause they saw a problem, but typically there was always part of the story was, and I couldn't have the life I wanted working for someone else. Right. That's right. always a big thing. And that's what this seems like this, there's a big factor there. I can't yeah. have the life I want. Yeah. Working for someone else. Yeah. And then we somehow judge them. There is a judginess to it of like, well, who are these people and why can't they? Especially when you, we, we drove our daughter up to college and we stopped at a McDonald's on the way at a service station. And that was the height of, I don't know if it's, I never leave my house. So I don't know what life <laughs> is like outside, but the signs everywhere, like, you know, service is slow because we can't hire. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it really was slow. It was super slow. I, it, and we couldn't, 
couldn't get out of line because it had like guardrails up on the anyways. But yeah, but how is it to work at that crappy McDonald's on at the service station along the highway in upstate New York? I don't right. know. <laughs> I, I yeah, I'm not going to make judgments, but is it a good place? Because obviously your employees are saying not really like, right. Cause it, they can find other ways to make money. They will go do it. Yeah. They will go find a better job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, in Lexington mass where I live, there are like all the Starbucks, Starbucks closed down, Panera closed down and they're all just saying they can't. I mean, that's really? they, they just, they can't get people to work there. And that's why they've closed them down. Now, and then you say this was the, basically the concept of the best companies. So my uh, my old boss Carol Evans and mm-hmm. her team forty years ago that was their their thing was let's make it a pissing contest and make companies compete to do better by their employees. And uh-huh. this is another variation on that of the employees saying you know especially with the loss of the power of unions to have collective action. This is a societal collective action to say, hey, we need better working conditions here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't be cloping, which is still a thing where, you know, you you have somebody close down the shop the night before and then have and to then, show up four hours later to open the shop. Like, right. This stuff is still real. Yeah. And and then we did we did best companies for hourly workers and the pay was so low that the one of the things we judged them on is whether or not they were helping people with food stamps and other public supports because some companies don't they just mm-hmm. don't pay you enough and then you have to go figure it out with the government support that's not a work culture that supports growth or why would you want to work there if you could do anything else right it's a big question I think we we're at a unique moment in time. We're at this big, you know, the anti-work revolution moment. And I think I think that the great resignation is hopefully kicking off some real transformation in in workplaces. I can't talk too much about it, but in my day job, we talked about, you know, the performance management process. So we're talking about performance management for folks and we're talking about giving them performance ratings. We're talking about, can we like, what are we even measuring right now in this time where everyone is so burnt out and how can we get managers to be able to, to give that kind of feedback when folks are just like ready to hit the road? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. What as a tool for good, how can it do that? You know, like if a lot of us have worked at jobs where we have to go through the performance uh, review thing and it is never tied to that, you know, they've already decided, especially during like the great recession, I was lucky to get like a 2% raise or the like. So that was a separate track. Like it wasn't even monetarily, let alone like career pathing, but we're still going to go through this performance review process. That's right. Like, Great. (laughs) (laughs) Great on all sides. This has absolutely, you know, as you, when you're younger and you're like, oh, please give me feedback. I'm desperate for feedback. And then you get older and you're like, this means nothing. Just don't screw me on the numbers. And then, you know, I'll get my 2%. So thank you. (laughs) Exactly. It's a a unique moment. Well, 
now on the flip side right now, the hiring market is very hot. It's very hot. Correct. To the point where I have a another girlfriend who uh, just got a new job. And so she and I have been talking with each other through the through the process. She just started. And we're kind of like, because we're the same age, it's a deluge right now, but the drought is coming. You're like, hey, we just don't, we don't buy they, That's our whole yeah. like generational yeah. thing of like, I, this can't last, this hot market. You know, the economy will right. turn and, you know, I don't know, but it seems to be going on. I, I, I honestly don't get it. I don't, that's a whole other thing. Like the, why is hiring so hot right now? Other than, yeah. One theory for that is rising inflation. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, someone earning 150,000 on January 1st, 2021 would need to earn $157,300 of the same purchasing power. So with the average U.S. raise at only 3%, it makes sense that people are like, what else do you got? Yeah. <laughs> right? Interesting. Like, yeah. So that's... But that's job searching. I think they're able to find that job right now. Yeah. You know, like, so people are hired... Well, so I guess maybe does it, it's the thought that it triggers, like, so the, the 150,000 person leaves, so the 145,000 person, person moves get into the hundred like it it's a domino effect of people leaving finding jobs leaving i i just also i wonder there's often these things in the economy where and i don't know if this is true but companies will sit on cash for a long time and then they find that they have to use it which it, it seems right. it's such a funny concept but it does happen so you you don't know what the cycle that companies you know the price of currency and and loans at loan rates and all that sort of stuff impacts hiring too Right. True. True. But there's been research done about kind of what happens to the $145,000 person. Yeah. There's CNBC had an article, The Great Resignation is Burning Out Those Who Stay. And so SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, they cite their data, said following their former coworkers' departures, 52% of those who chose to stay at their jobs or who had to stay at their job yeah. have taken on more responsibilities. 30% report struggling to get necessary work done. 27% <gasps> feel less loyalty to their organization. And now 55% question whether their pay is high enough. Wow. Wow. That rings very true, A. <laughs> But um, that has happened to me in times of great economic woe, not in economic boom times. You know, like it, someone's left or there's been a layoff or the, or the like, and then you're stuck behind. And then it's like, well, there's no other story here. We have to get the work done. We can't replace the head cut. Like that's, I've lived through that many, many times. But right. this time of like, everyone's moving, everyone's get. Though I guess I did live through that with the dot-com bubble. There was a moment where I, you literally felt the entire world all step up to the next level. Like I was at a small, I was doing a newsletter. I got hired at Adweek. The Adweek people went to the New York Times. You know, the, right, like, right, the, right. we all like went up one the step all thing. in yeah, the yeah. same moment. There are these moments that kind of collectively happen like that. So, and then it all fell apart. See, that's where like lived experience because that fell apart with the dot com bubble burst like a year and a half, two years later. 
And then it was, you know, all, everyone got laid off and all those dot-com agencies all fell apart and, and the mm. like. So like having gone through that of like that. And so that's where my girlfriend is saying to me like, you know, Ooh, it's like a hurricane of hiring right now for the drought. You know, like, I don't right, know. Right. We're just very dubious. I, Gen X is that's just a fair. very, very defensive posturing generation. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that we are, there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of people who don't believe the great resignation is actually happening. And there's, there's theories to support that there's, we could talk about this, this topic kind of. Yeah. I, it's, it's, well, it's fascinating. Well, a, what do, what do you mean? It's not ha- like that. They look at those numbers and they're like, it's well, something else. So why we can, so we can doubt it because the numbers we're relying on to paint the story of a pandemic induced resignation. And I'm quoting here. Yeah. There's, we don't have enough longitudinal data to calibrate the scale of the great resignation. So it's happening, but we're like saying like it's happening and like, Oh, like, and it caused an effect. We don't know. You know, it looks like it. It looks like it, but we, but the government's only tracked resignation since 2000. Oh, Oh, so we're, what? That's right. I didn't realize that. that, uh, Yeah. So there's ways in which people are, are looking at the data and saying, like, is this really happening or is yeah. it not really happening? Although we are, you know. Yeah, their job change is happening. We just don't, you know, what the cause and effect is quite yet. We, we've got, there's a lot of theories out there. That's yeah. essentially. So it brings us back to, I wonder what Adam Grant, our friend Adam Grant. Yeah. And the culmination of a long march toward freedom and what, what essentially this is going to look like. but. Yeah. And who's that freedom for? And, and then a, like, is it the Amazon warehouse workers? Is it the, you know, white collar, like people working at a bank? Is it, you know, like where, I, I, that's where, where distance will give us like, who actually were these people? That's a big question. So when you look, so when you look at the different industries that have been hit the hardest, mm-hmm. If you look at one report, they're talking about, so I've seen that the highest, the industry that's hit the highest is leisure and hospitality, Mm. trade and transportation and utilities, and then professional and business services. Those are the top three. Yeah. And the lowest that was hit was government. That all, I think that would probably be the, the same even without a great resignation, like just resignation. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, right. It right. just is. That's where it's going to be. So right. interesting. But then if you look at, there's a, a Harvard Business Review article that we can share where they've kind of said, okay, it's looking at the biggest, the area where we're seeing the biggest turnover is healthcare. Yeah. And folks who are in between 30 and 45. So I don't know. There's lots of different theories about kind of where yeah. this is happening. Well, most. and what is the gender part of it? Because it was a year ago, we were talking about women just overwhelmed and leaving the workforce. And so do they talk about it in gender terms? There are articles from Ms. Magazine from kind of like, we talked about this. We talked about yeah. this in our last season, right? This is a moment for, you know, this is this crisis of feminism. What was Mm -hmm. that that article? Yeah, yeah. But it's not what I'm seeing or what I've seen. And listeners, please 
please call in and, and contradict yeah. us, right? But Wait, we have a call. <laughs> <laughs> call in. But I'm not seeing that being the sort of what folks are reporting on as the driving factor. Yeah. Interesting. But that being said, if we go back to what Erica Rodriguez was talking about, we have a broken system and people are responding to that broken system. But we can't say like, this is working mothers. Yeah, specifically, or people with pets or people with disabilities or people with, you know, whatever it is. We don't know yet. Right. Well, that'll be interesting. Well, see, now now I know. And now I can, I, I will forever keep the idea of having... Previous generations apply for jobs right now. That's hilarious. I love it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. That was great. Cool. Well, thank you, and can't wait to record our next episode of the Breadwinners. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This has been great. And uh, dear listener, write us. We love to hear from you. See you. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.